0: I'm excited. The title of this morning's message is The Power of His Presence. The Power of His Presence. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning The Power of His Presence. You see, Jesus is really, really like a lot of us. And Jesus goes through different seasons. And uh, I may seem like an extroverted person to you, I'm really not. I am an introverted person. And so I like being up here because I like teaching the gospel. Uh, But the reality is, is that after I am done up here, and after I'm done greeting people, I will go into my office or hide out in my house and decompress for the rest of the day. That's just kind of my makeup and how I am. And so here you actually see something very similar with Jesus. Jesus has gone through a couple of moments where the Pharisees are kind of testing his patience a little bit. And they're testing him out a little bit to see who he is. Is And so we're reading from Mark chapter 3, verse 7. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus withdrew. Let me tell you something. It is not bad sometimes to sound retreat, to recover, and to go back to being persistent towards your goals. In fact, sometimes retreating is the best thing that we can do. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee, followed. I get the feeling just from the context of this passage that Jesus really wasn't about messing with the crowd that day. He withdrew. He was trying to be solitary a little bit. And the crowd just ends up following him. And when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and regions across the Jordan and across Tyre and Sidon. And because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. Does that kind of sound like the Jesus you're used to? I mean, the Jesus you're used to is like, hey, what's up? I want to be around people all the time. But the reality is is that Jesus wasn't completely like that. There were times where Jesus liked being with the crowds. And there were other times where Jesus was like, whoa, I'd like to kind of be alone I don't want to be emotionally overwhelmed by everything that's going on. And that's okay. So you need to know, if you've ever felt bad for being that way, don't feel bad. Jesus was the same way. And here's what he said. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. So the crowd wanted to be all over Jesus. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. And we're going to kind of pick up as the, as the uh, morning goes on in the remainder of the verses that I shared with you. Verse 13 uh, through 19. But have you ever found yourself emotionally weak? Yeah. I found myself emotionally weak. Have you ever find yourself in moments like you feel like you're running on fumes? You're a little bit out of gas? Have you ever find yourself powerless to know what God wants you to do? I found that it's really simple. It sounds like a cliche answer. But I've discovered that this chapter, this piece of scripture contains how we can discover how to connect with Jesus in such a way that his power, his power flows through us. So I want to point out something. There, There are a lot of people crowding Jesus that day. But they weren't really interested in getting to know him. When you ever you attain any type of level of success, there's going to be people that didn't want to hear from you, didn't want to know, know anything about you when you were broke, busted, and disgusted, and now they want to be all over you. Now that you reached the level of success, you're a VP in a company. Now everybody wants to touch you. When you were the stock boy at Banana Republic, nobody wanted to be around you. Nobody cared about that, and so they didn't. They weren't interested in being friends with Jesus. They weren't interested in truly getting to know him. They were interested in what they could get from him. They only wanted to be healed of their diseases. And Jesus as the healer and as a miracle worker was very popular. But Jesus wasn't interested in popularity. And notice what happens, verse 11 through 12, whenever the evil spirit saw him. They fell down before him and cried out, you're the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. These demons wanted to kind of identify Jesus for who he was. But Jesus didn't want any credibility from the wrong sources. Some of you guys are looking for affirmation from the wrong sources in your life. You're looking for a family member that's never given a hoot about you. And all you've been after your entire life is a word of affirmation from them. You're looking for a word of affirmation from maybe a parent who's never given you that love or never given you. Some of you guys are looking for words of affirmation from people that don't even exist anymore, that are long past. Can I tell you, Jesus wasn't interested in being affirmed by the wrong sources. And Jesus didn't allow the demons to continue on in their useless babble. He delivered a sovereign word of rebuke and rendered the demons powerless. And he kept the wrong sources from popularizing his name. You see, sometimes there is easy schemes to get to where you want to go. And sometimes there are more difficult paths, less traverse. And I'm really excited because we're going to talk about that a little bit later. You see, even though Jesus was attracting great crowds, he didn't come to be popular because it was restricted to his true purpose. There are things that you would love to get into in your life that are really restrictive to the true purpose that Jesus has for you. And some doors will close Permanently in your life. And some of those closures of those doors are really good things for you. Because if it doesn't, if that thing that you are attempting to do works out, then you'll never fulfill the actual purpose, the meaning for your life. And you see, he didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 tells us that. And even so, when the crowds were, caught, were, were were crowding him for selfish reasons, Jesus still healed them. Jesus still cast out their demons, cast out their afflictions. You see, Jesus still cared for them. You see, there are still people who crowd Jesus today. As a healer and as a miracle worker, Jesus is is quite popular. In March of 2009, Dutch artist Johan Vanderdong decided God needed a telephone number. And so he got him one. He got a cell phone number to be exact, to show that God was available anywhere and anytime. And in an interview, the artist said, in earlier times, you would go to church to say a prayer. Now you just make a phone call and say a prayer in a modern way. Do you know that within one week, over 1,000 people left God a message? The only problem is when you called the number, you got a recorded message. This is the voice of God. I'm not able to talk to you at the moment, but please leave a message. That doesn't exactly communicate the idea of, A God who's available anywhere and anytime does it. The only thing that the artist managed to do is connect people to an altogether disconnected God. His intentions were good. But that's not like Jesus at all even when we come to him for selfish reasons, even when we crowd him, the reality is that Jesus still heals our hurts. He still casts out our demons. Jesus cares for the crowd, but you and I should want something more than to be the crowd. We shouldn't be just content with having our needs met for the moment. You see, I'm not just content to meet with Jesus on a Sunday morning and maybe feel good after I leave this place. I want Jesus' power. I want his presence with me throughout my entire week. I want Jesus' power to do God's will, to fulfill God's calling over my life. See, isn't that what you want as well, church? Then I ask you this, don't crowd Jesus. And I'm going to explain to you what that means. There are celebrities who have fans, but fans are not friends. Jesus is a celebrity that has lots of fans. But there are not a lot of people that are in tune with a deep relationship with Jesus. And that is the entirety of the basis for Christianity, that you would move from being the fan, from being the crowd, into the depth of a relationship with him. Don't just come to Jesus when you have a need. The crowd does that. Don't just pressure him for your own selfish reasons. The crowd does that. The fans do that. Because that's not where the real power is. That's not where the genuineness of relationship. Instead, the genuineness of relationship is found when we answer his call, when we respond to his invitation and when we commit ourselves to his will for the rest of our life. For while Jesus cares for many people. Jesus cares for everyone on this planet. But John said it best. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God works together for the good of those who are all things, for those who are called according to his purposes. We forget that part. Yes, he works together for the good. But for those called according to his purposes. That means those who have rendered their lives in relationship to Jesus. He calls, few people respond to that special relationship with him. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15 Speaks about Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, that they might that he might send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. Church, I want to share with you something. That's where the power lies, that's where the authority lies, not in the crowd, but in the calling. Jesus called. To him, those who wanted. That's what that verse says. It implies an urgent invitation to accept the responsibility responsibilities for a particular task, implying a new relationship to the one who does the calling. You see, Jesus wants these 12 to be more than just part of an adoring crowd, part of the Jesus fan club, the Jesus Facebook page. He invites them into a special relationship with him so that he might send them out as his representative with his words and with his power to make a difference in the world. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. For my life. I'm not content to be part of an adoring crowd. I want a special relationship with Jesus so that I might represent Him well in a world that desperately needs Him. If you spend any time just turning on the news, I don't care what news channel you watch, you'll realize that there is evil in this world. Evil in this world. Evil in this world come down from government to us. Evil in this world that comes out from terrorist organizations. People that, I mean, just the other day in Seattle, two men were murdered for defending two bigoted people that were were harassing a a Muslim person. And then in Manchester, at a concert, somebody decides that they're going to come and they're going to blow themselves up to create a ruckus and a scandal. To cause tragedy to happen. So if you spend just two seconds turning on your TV and seeing the news, you'll see that without a shadow of a doubt, exactly what the Bible says, this world is full of evil. And you would know that this world so desperately needs this person that we talk about called Jesus. And if it's what you want, if that's what you want, the depth of a relationship with him, then I urge you to answer his call on your life. Respond to his invitation to get close to him. Not to crowd him, but to enjoy an intimacy with him that those in the crowd cannot even imagine. And that means spending regular time in his presence. In an area of Africa where where Christianity has spread actually quite rapidly. New believers were really zealous about their daily devotions, and they would find their own spot within the wild thickets and pour their hearts out to God in prayer. And after some time, the spots became well-worn and paths became created. And soon each one's prayer life was made public if someone began to neglect their prayer life, their devotional life, their intimacy with God, it would notice by, be noticed by others. Believers would then genti- gently and lovingly remind those in neglect. And here's what they would say to them. The grass grows on your path. The grass grows on your path. Church, don't let the grass grow on your path of intimacy. Get close to Jesus as often, as long as you can. Uh, Open his word. Engage in life groups in the church. Uh, 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 Open his word. Study his word so that you can hear his voice. Then talk to him about the things that he puts on your heart. Sounds weird, but it's called prayer. Enjoy regular times with Jesus so that he can begin to make a difference in your life before you try to make a difference in the lives of others. President Theodore Roosevelt. If you watch any videos that exist of him, you will realize that Theodore Roosevelt was an incredibly charismatic figure who made quite an impression on people. And one journalist who actually met him, William Allen White, wor- word worded this of his meeting with Roosevelt in 1897. And here's what he said about meeting the president. He said he sounded in my he sounded in my heart the first trumpet call of the new time that was to be. I had never known such a man as he, and never shall again. He overcame me, and in the hour or two we spent that day at lunch, he poured into my heart such vision, such ideals, such hopes, such a new attitude toward life and patriotism and the meaning of things as I had dreamed men had, and after that, I was his man. If a man could have ever made such an impact on a person, how much more should Jesus? Spend time with him. Let him pour his heart into your heart and pour a new vision into you. Let him give you new hope. Let him give you a new attitude towards life. Then afterwards in thankfulness, just like this reporter did, say, I am his. In his book, How to Attain the Fullness of Power, R.A. Tori says this, We are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have his power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. We have many services, but few conversions. We have much machinery, but few results. R.A. Torrey wrote that nearly 100 years ago. But it's still very descriptive of the church today. Risen King, if we are too busy to spend some time with the Lord, then we're just spinning our wheels. The power comes not from more activity. It doesn't come from more ministry. It doesn't come from doing a bunch of crazy things in the church. It comes from time alone with Jesus. It comes from simplifying our relationship with Him. So, more than anything else, answer Christ's call to be with Him if you want to accomplish anything of value in your life. Then, number two, you can answer Jesus' call to preach. And everybody freaked out Pastor, I can't do what you do, I'm not called to be up on stage. Here's what that means. I'm going to simplify it for you. You can respond to his invitation to speak his words. That's all preaching is. Don't let that word preach in verse 14 scare you. It simply means to announce something. See, back in the day when there was no media sources, there was no internet, there was no newspapers, back before the printing press, the government would control the way the people would receive news. And so the king would have what was called Heralds, And they would position heralds in various places all throughout their territories. And the heralds would go with that message to announce what the king was doing. He would announce the message of the king to his people. They didn't have to come up with their own message. All they had to do was announce his message. We don't have to come up with our own message. All we have to do is share what our king, Jesus, tells us to say. And it doesn't have to be with great words. I'll share with you this story. If you're any student of the Bible, if you're any student of biblical history, you'll know this name, John Stott. Not John Scott. John Stott. And he was a well-known British pastor and theologian. And he was actually invited to preach at the University of Sydney in Australia. And after he got there... John, this mega big rock star preacher that everybody came to come there to hear, had actually lost his voice. And he describes his experience as follows. This is in his own words. What can you do with a pastor who has no voice? We had come to the last night of the evangelistic meeting. And the students had booked the big university hall. And a group of students gathered around me and I prayed, to, I prayed them. To, I asked them to pray as Paul did that this thorn in my flesh would be taken from me. He's talking about his loss of his voice. But we went on to pray that if it pleased God to keep me in weakness, I would rejoice in my infirmities in order that the power of Jesus might rest upon me. And as it turned out, I had to get within one inch of the microphone just to even croak the gospel. I was unable to use any type of inflection in my voice. You know what inflection is? Anybody know what inflection is? This is monotone. I can preach to you this. But when I get excited, I can inflect my voice. He said he couldn't even inflect his voice to even express his personality through his message. It was just a croak and a monotone. And all that time we were crying to God that his power would be demonstrated in human weakness. Well, I can honestly say that there was a far greater response that night than any other night. I've been back to Australia. This is John Stott writing. I've been back to Australia ten times now. And on every occasion somebody has come up to me and said, do you remember that night that you lost your voice? I came to know Jesus that night. God doesn't need eloquence. He don't need a master's degree and a bachelor's degree to reach people or to use you. He just needs a voice. Your voice. Your voice. A voice with a living and a vital connection to him in prayer. A woman by the name of Lucy Swindle says this. A friend of mine was caught in an elevator during a power failure. And at first there was a momentary panic as all seven strangers talked at once. Then my friend remembered the tiny flashlight he had in his pocket. And when he turned it on, the fear dissipated. During the 45 minutes that they were stuck together, they told jokes, laughed, and even sang. Where does this story apply to me, Pastor Tom? The Bible says that we are that flashlight. Just as the flashlight draws power from its batteries, we draw from Jesus. And as light, we dissipate fear. We bring relief and we lift spirits. We don't even have to be big to be effective. We just need to be on. We just have to be connected to Jesus. And he does all the work through us. So if you like your life to count for something, answer Jesus' call to preach. To speak his words. And finally, answer Jesus' call to receive power respond to his invitation to accept his ability and his authority to drive out demons. Let me tell you something. I realize that in today's world we are super scientific and I am not downing the scientific community and we are super skeptical of anything spiritual. But can I tell you something? If you spend any time in this world, you'll realize that there's such thing as the demonic. That demons are real. If you spend any time alone with yourself, and we've coined the term but we refuse to uh, accept the spiritual reality. If you spend Any time alone with yourself, you'll realize that if you're in moments of weakness, you'll realize that there's some demons that you got inside of you that need to be cast out. There's some stuff that you have that's going on that you need to be released from. And as we spend with time with Jesus, we not only speak His words, but we exercise the power to just remove those things from our life. Pastor by the name of Mark Bro. He's a pastor of Heartland Community Church in Rockland, Illinois. Talks about the time his daughter Jody answered the call to go to missions work. When she graduated from high school, she said, I don't think God wants me to go to college right now. I want to go take a year in Haiti and I want to serve people in a medical mission down there. And her dad wasn't so sure about his daughter moving 3,000 miles away from home in the poorest country on the Western Hemisphere, which is also happens to be, maybe you don't realize this, it happens to be also a, very, uh, a culture that has slow access to medicine. And it's also an AIDS-infested culture. And voodoo is very persistent and permanent. If you don't believe in the occult, I have been to Haiti before. You walk into a village and you look into a village and one of the things you see is a flagpole. And guess what? On the top of that flagpole, there is a black flag. It's so that you can know where the voodoo priests are. But he supported her in her decision. And he says, one of the hardest days of my life was putting my little girl on an airplane, watching it lift off, and not knowing whether I'd ever communicate with her ever again. And then one night, he gets an email from Jody, and here's what she wrote. She wrote, Dad, tonight has been the most remarkable night of my life. I got called out to this hut to deliver a baby. Dad, I've only delivered one, and that was with somebody. I'd never done this by myself, but I was the only one around. And they called me, and I got to this hut, and there was this naked screaming lady on the dirt floor. And I got a flashlight, and I was thinking, here I am, 18 years old. I'm in a hut in a third world country with a naked screaming pregnant lady, and I have a flashlight, and I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm here. To make matters worse, this lady... From the voodoo religion, this voodoo priestess walked into the hut dressed in her red and blue voodoo garb and began to chant some voodoo incantations in Creole. And she put some kind of oil on the lady's head and then she started to walk away from me and the woman. She stopped at the woman's belly and she pulled some kind of sob there and walked the opposite direction all while chanting a Creole spell. And I didn't know what to do, and she stood at the head of this woman and stared a hole through me. And when I was getting ready to deliver this baby, I just looked back at her and I started singing. I knew that the voodoo priestess did not understand English, but I continued to sing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. That's a song that she probably learned when she was a kid. And the girl said that the voodoo lady became completely unglued. She grabbed all of her stuff and she left the hut. Jody wrote that night, this is what this little girl wrote that night. That night I knew that that baby was going to be born with the blessing of God and not the curse of Satan. And as Pastor Mike read Jody's email... His fatherly side thought, you get on a plane tomorrow and we're going into that hut with a voodoo woman. What are you doing going into that hut with a voodoo woman? But then he thought, way to go, Jody. Way to make a difference with your life. Way to stop floating around like everything is an accident. Way to put your life in the hands of the destiny maker. Way to make a splash for Jesus. Who knows who that little baby she delivered that night is going to grow up to touch. And who that person is going to touch. All because of one courageous girl who said, okay, God, I want to put my life in your hands. And I want to make a difference with my life. Would you say, Pastor Tom, I can't do that kind of stuff. I'm I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. Do you know what? I'm going to level with you for a moment. You're probably right. Neither you nor I have what it takes to serve Jesus. But that doesn't matter with Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I'm, I'm going to repeat that to you. Do you hear me? Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualified the call. Now we're going to get deeper into the word just a little bit. Look at the original 12 disciples. Mark chapter 3 verse 16. And we're going to go through these verses really kind of quickly here. But this is going to be the crux of the message. These are the 12s he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, which means rock. Rock. Well, let me tell you, Peter was no rock at this time. (laughs) Peter has what some of us have, right? You know, people with this type of disease, Peter had a bad disease. It's called the foot and mouth disorder. You have that. I have the foot and mouth disorder sometimes. And he was all over the place when it came to his commitment to Jesus. But Jesus saw the potential in him. And he made him into a rock-solid spokesman for the kingdom of God. That when Peter got up and preached after Jesus had ascended to heaven, the Bible says that 3,000 people responded in one sermon to turn their lives to Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 17 continues. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means the sons of thunder. Let me talk to you about these guys. These guys had anger problems. They always ready to call down fire from heaven. Luke chapter 9, verse 54 to 55. Here's what they said. They got really ticked off that the people weren't listening to their message and that the people weren't responding in the adequate way. And so they went to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why don't we call fire down from heaven? Sounds like they got an anger problem, right? They sound like a little intolerant, don't they? They were in the mood of kicking people out. Mark chapter 9, verse 38. You can look that up on your own, that story. And they were willing to fight. As a matter of fact, they didn't even want to do it themselves. So they sent mama in. They were mama's boys. And they sent mama in to talk with Jesus. Seriously, true story. Sent mama in to talk with Jesus. And mama goes, hey, Jesus, uh, my boys, they've served you really well. So left and right when it comes to your throne, right? When you get to heaven, one will be seated on the left, one will be seated on the right, right? That, that we, we, I want my boys to have the top positions uh, in the kingdom. But John later became known. These were the same guys that said, hey, if these people don't listen to us, Jesus, call fire down from heaven. But I want to share with you, John later became known as the apostle of love. But he didn't begin with that reputation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that at the end of his life, he is the only remaining apostle to have survived at the end of his life. Every other apostle was murdered for their faith, called martyred for their faith. He's the only one to have survived into old age. And he survives in old age in exile in an island prison called Patmos. And that is where the book of Revelation is written by the apostle John, the apostle of love. And let me share with you that the rest were no better. Mark chapter 3, verse 18 through 19. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now, let me just talk to you a little bit. And we've, we've actually been studying this over the course of the last few weeks. And I encourage you, if you have not been here, please listen to us on podcasts or also at risenkingchurch.com. But but you get to know Matthew. Matthew was a despised tax collector. He cheated people for their money and he betrayed his own people. He is a Jew. He is from a priestly family. He betrayed his own family to work for Rome as a tax collector under Roman occupation. Now let me just share with you this. Here comes Simon the Zealot. Let me tell you something. If there's anybody that is like Al-Qaeda and ISIS in the Bible, it would have been the Zealots. The Zealots were completely against Roman control and they, would, they were the terrorist group that would terror Roman soldiers left and right. And that means he was part of a group of Jewish extremists organized to overthrow Rome by force if necessary. Josephus, a Jewish historian, calls them the dagger men. It would be interesting to see and to know how Simon the Zealot would have responded when he first met Matthew, the former employee of the government that he was trying to topple. I bet there would have been a few fireworks when the apostles would have met each other. You don't think you're qualified? I want to share with you that these 12 men were less qualified than most of us in this room. But Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call and he wants to qualify you and into a deep relationship with him as a representative of his kingdom. All we have to do is answer his call, not crowd him, not be fans anymore. Just answer his call to be with him, to speak his words, to preach on his behalf and to have his power. Then we'll begin the process of becoming all that he wants us to be. A pastor wrote for uh, an article in the Leadership Journal and we're kind of coming to an end on this. And here's what this pastor wrote. A very difficult season when finances were tight for him. He was driving a dilapidated car that had been donated to the church. And he had lots of problems, including a ceiling lining that had drooped down. And grazed his head every time the broken shock absorbers launched him from the seat toward the roof. And the car began to speak to him. You know what the car said? Failure. You ever feel like there's possessions that you have that maybe speak to your status in life or you've often felt that they've spoken to you as far as your status in life? And the pastor wondered, why couldn't I get my life together? And he was getting older every year. And he had a family. And the car that he drove was humiliating. He felt like a failure. And this continued for months until the day he took the car to the airport to pick up his nieces. And it was a very hot day, and the air conditioning in the car didn't work. And so all four windows were down. Only later did he realize vinyl flakes from the sun-scorched dashboard were being blown into the back seat, covering his sweet nieces. So on that day, still without funds to buy a second car, the pastor went to the dealership and leased a new car. And it was wonderful. No flakes. No droopy ceiling lining. No broken shocks. He was thrilled until this, the day that the car began to talk to him. And its message was also just one word as the previous car's message was. And that one word was fraud. Pastor Mark says, I was no more put together. And I was no more successful with this new car than with the SCSI borrowed one. This car just looked better, but I was still a fake. Our lives swing between voices calling us failures and frauds. The key is not listening to either. Instead, listen to the voice of Jesus that's calling you. Come be with me so that I can send you to share my words with people who are in such desperate need of hope. How about it this morning, church? Would you respond to the call of Jesus this morning? If I can be honest with you, every month, there's probably about two days a month that I'll leave from a church service and I'll say, man, I bombed. That was terrible. I wish I could go back and redo that. And I'll go back to the media team and I'm like, rip that thing off of online. I don't want it up there. And I thought, well, maybe as the church continues to grow, we continue to reach people, I continue to get better. That maybe this feeling that I get at least twice a month about my career path, my calling that God has taken me will eventually go away. Last Saturday, we had a, a brief conference in the church with leaders. And at the end of the conference, I spoke with an older pastor. This pastor 65 years old, doing incredible things. His church is amazing, reaching young people left and right uh, here in New Jersey. And I spoke to him. And he said, I've been in ministry for 40 years. And he goes, do you know And this guy leads a really large congregation. I said, do you know? At least once or twice a month, I go home feeling like that was garbage. Nothing worked out the way I wanted it to. And I began to realize something. And I wanted to point it out and I wanted to be transparent about it because maybe you're going through the same thing. And maybe you're on the path that Jesus called you to be on. Maybe you're doing the right things that doesn't stop you from going through moments of discouragement. When I look at my job as a pastor, I have both the best job in the world and the worst job in the world all rolled up into one. Do you feel that way sometimes about the thing that you do? got the best job in the world and the worst job in the world. It's a part of life. Jesus helps us to more than cope with it. Jesus helps us to understand that there is purpose in the things that we have undergone and in the life that we lead. And he adds purpose and value to that life.